During a congregational fundraising meeting, the issue of a new building was raised. One of the wealthiest but most stingy members of the temple stood up to voice his protest. This building will do just fine. If you come to me for a contribution to the new building fund, don't count on me for more than a $5 gift. As he sat down, a piece of plaster fell from the ceiling and landed right on his head. <laughs> As he smoothed the top of his skull, he embarrassingly admitted, well, maybe we do need to renovate this building a bit. Make that $50 for my share in the building fund. A congregant sitting nearby looked upward and blurted out, hit him again, God. <laughs> the Torah portion for this week, Teruma, describes one of the first fundraising events in the history of the Jewish people. In their journey through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, the children of Israel yearn for a visible symbol of God's presence among them. They needed this building to know that the Shekhinah, God's indwelling spirit, was in their midst so that they could proceed on their journey with confidence and with hope. According to the Midrash, while God frowns upon this idea, for the divine presence is with us and dwells in our midst without the need for a building to contain God's presence, the Israelites are granted their request. The Midrash tells us there are some things parents will do, even against their principles, to make their children happy. And so God in that parental role behaves accordingly. The Torah portion this week tells us that if there is to be such a tabernacle, a sanctuary, albeit portable in the wilderness, it should be done right. That is, with the proper materials and the proper dignity befitting the sovereign of sovereigns. If you're going to do a mitzvah, you do it hidor mitzvah, beautifying the mitzvah. The sanctuary would require tremendous resources. We today think of that in terms of dollars. In those days, it meant gold and silver and copper and yarns and linen, animal hair, skins, wood, oil, spices, and stones. This was to be quite some temple. A Hasidic story tells of a group of Jews who were building their own temple with their own hands, using wood and nails, when along came a very wealthy member of the community and asked the rabbi, what are you doing here? The rabbi said, we're building, putting together a synagogue. This wealthy man, not the same one in the earlier story, said, Rabbi, don't bother with all of this work. I'll give you a check for the whole thing right now. And the rabbi said, oh, that's very nice of you, very gracious, very generous, and God will smile upon you. But I must tell you that I cannot accept the money from you in the amount of the total cost of the temple, of the synagogue. It's something to which everyone should contribute. If you'd like to give us a large portion of that, that will be fine. But if you pay for it yourself, you might think, and others certainly will think, that this is your shul, when indeed 
the synagogue belongs to us all. The way in which the funds are raised for the temple is important too. In fact, in the Midrash, the rabbis are concerned about the origin of the resources. If those monies were earned in an unethical and unfair way, there were problems. Indeed, the rabbis point to the juxtaposition of this week's Torah portion with last week's. Why, they ask, does the portion Mishpatim, which was our portion last week, come immediately before this portion, Terumah? In the portion Mishpatim are all the rules of just and ethical behavior. And this portion is the description of the fundraising for the ancient sanctuary. Aha, the rabbis point out. This is to teach us that we must use fair and just and ethical means in earning our resources in order to give it for charitable purposes. Indeed, the Midrash itself points out that a person who does wrong, who steals and robs and cheats, and then thinks that by giving the money to some charitable institution, they will be able to cancel out the sin with which he or she acquired it, that person's mistaken. In fact, the Midrash points out that a person bringing money to a charitable institution from an unethical source of earning is only reminding God of the misdeed once again. There are no brownie points for the person doing the act of tzedakah, even if the tzedakah itself will benefit other people. If the person donating is achieving some gain through the violation of the mitzvot of the Torah. Does this mean that the rabbis would not accept money if it were to be used for good to help other people? Aha! A contemporary response on this subject claims that under certain circumstances it will be permissible to accept the money, but not to give any glory or credit to the unethical person who made the donation. The rabbis were also concerned about how the money for the sanctuary was to be raised. If we read the text literally, it says, you shall accept gifts from every person whose heart so moves him. The rabbis were concerned. It sounds like a very, fairly lackadaisical campaign. Unenthusiastic. Ah, if you feel like giving, go ahead. Make a voluntary offering of goodwill. But realistically, the rabbis doubted whether that type of effort would have been sufficient for the magnificent structure that was actually produced which accompanied the Israelites through the wilderness into the promised land. How could that be? If it's only if your heart so moves you. It was obvious to our ancestors, as it should be to us, that the type of materials that were necessary to build such a structure could not have been raised purely on the whim of people's hearts. There was actual obligation and commitment from each and every Israelite. The key in the Midrash lies in a closer reading of the text, if you notice in the Torah portion, you can open up your Torah sweet flag or look at it later, the word gift, terumah, is mentioned three times in the first two sentences. Tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts, and then you shall accept gifts. And then, and these are the gifts, three times in the first two sentences. With only one of those references is the phrase, whoever's heart so moves him, attached. In other words, each time the word gifts appears, it means to tell us that it was a separate gift. There were 
three gifts. Two of the gifts were mandatory, as we know from other parts of the Bible. In Exodus chapter 39, we are told that half a shekel was demanded from each Israelite to be used toward building the principal, the principal items in the tabernacle. In the next chapter, Exodus 30, we find that an additional half a shekel was required of each Israelite to be used to finance the charitable or communal sacrifices. In other words, to assure that all Israelites would have the opportunity to engage in proper worship. Finally, the third time gifts is mentioned, it refers to the voluntary gift toward which the heart moves you. This money is used for the non-principal items in the tabernacle, such as the trumpets, the silver bowls, the extras, those items that in most synagogues would probably today have a plaque attached to them. And so we learn from our sages that the first two gifts were mandatory, necessary for the building of the tabernacle and the inclusion of people. We could very well conclude that the Jewish notion of giving means we should give two times what is asked of us, and if our heart so moves us, three times. In any case, we are, as Jews, responsible for providing for two important things. One, the necessary items, the principal things in our houses of worship and other Jewish institutions. And two, the sufficient funds to organizations that will make sure that those who cannot afford certain Jewish necessities or participate in Jewish life will have the opportunity. It's only the third part of our giving for the non-essential needs of the Jewish institutions, excuse me, <clears throat> the non-principal items that we can consider voluntary. Now don't worry, I'm not here to raise funds for your temple. <laughs> Besides, I got to build one building in Minnetonka, Minnesota that was enough of a building campaign to participate for a lifetime. Of course, this portion also is not just about that kind of giving. It guides our giving in everyday life, giving of our time, of our interest, of our attention, of our intimacy in relationship. The significant thing that we as Jews have shown time and again is that the art of giving, the value of sharing ourselves with the community and with those less fortunate is very much a part of being Jewish. It may be all right in some cases to give your, if your heart so moves you, but more often than not, need cannot be satisfied relying merely on whim. The very word for charity in Hebrew is tzedakah, which is not based on whim, but on righteousness, on justice, tzedek. We give because it is the proper thing to do. We may not love our fellow human beings all the time, but that does not minimize the needs of our fellow human beings, needs for which we are in part responsible. It's easy to acquire from those whose heart moves them. It is a task, one which we should undertake with more vigor to present opportunities to others whose heart may not so naturally move them. In our giving, the rabbis point out most importantly, we are actually doing something for ourselves. It validates our existence. It reminds us of our purpose in life. 
The Midrash for this week's portion tells us that it is only the fool who thinks that in giving, he or she is giving something away. It is the wise person who knows that giving is actually taking. It's actually doing something for yourself. In our text for this Shabbat, the word we have for giving, a gift that is actually the word for taking in the Hebrew language. We would expect it to say in Hebrew, Vayit Nuli, from the word notain, which means, and they shall give me those gifts. The text doesn't say that. The text says, Vayikhuli, and they shall take for me. And the Midrash explains profoundly, in our giving, we are taking. We are taking care to preserve that which is important to us. The Israelites, thousands of years ago, dedicated themselves to the building of their religious institution, the tabernacle. Twice they were required to donate a specific amount, and after that, they gave what their hearts moved them to give. The commentaries tell us that each and every Israelite felt moved by the heart and made an appropriate gift. May we today be as fortunate in our giving and our taking of our resources, of our love and caring, and of our precious time. May that be God's will.